Welcome, everybody, to the Puget Systems Podcast. I'm Matt Bach, and I'm joined here with Paul Babb. Thank you very much for joining me, Paul. Oh, thank you for having me on, Matt. Yeah, so, Paul, you've been at Maxon for forever, um, and uh, so we <laughs> wanted to talk about a little bit in this podcast kind of trends of VFX. You know, obviously, right now with all the coronavirus stuff, things are very unique and opportunities are very different, uh, but going beyond that and looking for the future. Uh, but first, uh, do you want to give just a little brief introduction about yourself? Um, again, you've been at Maxon for forever, but like kind of what's what's your role currently at Maxon? Um, you know, it's, it's actually changed over the last couple of years. Um, I, I actually started Maxon in the United States. Maxon, a parent company, is actually in Germany. Um, back in the late 90s, um, I was introduced to Cinema 4D and uh, did some work for them and shortly after was asked if I would be interested in starting uh, an office, a subsidiary of, of Maxon here in the States. Uh, and so I did and brought Cinema 4D to the U.S. market. And um, uh, we ran fairly siloed, uh, you know, each of the different Maxons. There was uh, Maxon in the U.K., Japan here. Um, we, we ran fairly autonomously. And in 2018, um, we brought all the Maxons together into one global entity and um, so for probably 20 years, I was the CEO of Maxon US and pretty much running everything here. Um, I still run Maxon US, um, but my role has um, branched more into uh, global marketing at this point. So the last couple of years, uh, been more um, involved in the global marketing while still uh, you know, doing the administrative work of uh, Maxon US. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I imagine it must be getting pretty crazy because I mean, Maxon has grown incredibly, it, it seems like over even just the last couple of years. Um, like I know I got really excited a couple of years back when you added all the integration with After Effects because a ton of our customers are using After Effects. I mean, obviously a ton of them use Cinema 40 too. And being able to have that nice tight integration was amazing. Uh, then last year, I believe it was at NAB even, you guys announced the uh, acquiring Redshift. Uh, recently, you did some merger with Red Giant. It just seems like, man, you guys are just doing a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 very exciting. Uh, when when Maxon was, you know, broken into these separate companies, it's it, it makes it very difficult for, you know, investment to happen. Um, uh, our grandparent company is a company by the name of Nemechek. And I know that over the years, they had been interested in in uh, taking Maxon to the next level. But when we're all different, you know, separate companies, it made it a little bit more difficult. And that was one of the reasons they they brought all together. It was also the, the three original owners retired and um, gave up their um, their shares of, of Maxon in Germany. So it, it became a, a wholly owned company. So um, that made it much easier to do these types of investments. And they brought in Dave McGavran, our CEO um, in 2018. And um, yeah, Redshift, um, we announced that at NEB last year was was definitely one of the, the hot things we were looking at the time for rendering, um, you know, upping our, our game in rendering very much so. Uh, they They've already started some integration in December last year. We announced that they were supporting uh, Cinema 4D noises in our our material node system, um, and that will hopefully continue. And then, um, yeah, Red Giant's an interesting one. We've we've always worked very closely with them. We have a great relationship with them. Similar philosophies in terms of um, being very passionate about the community and the the artists in general, and um, and Aaron Rabinowitz, that um, who's the marketing guy over there. He and I've been friends for 15, 20 years, and so. We were very excited about coming together as one big company. Um, that merger just closed in January, so we're still, you know, the dust is still settling on that. There's a lot of a lot of things um, 
changing and and uh, merging together. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where the sky's the limit because you've got um, some incredible, innovative uh, developers, some incredible talent, and um, that you know these guys can exp- inspire each other to do some amazing work. And there's obviously some some technological synergies where um, you know things that um, there are natural natural um, features that could come out of our um, merger in, in, in the two products. But I think in the next two or three years, we'll see more of, of the types of, um, you know, things they could do together in, in the development team. But it, it you know, it, it's, it mm-hmm. brings two very strong companies in motion graphics and visual effects together. Um, and it's just going to be, uh, it's going to be exciting what we, uh, we take it to. Yeah. I, I mean, like you said, like acquiring Redshift was a big bump up for your rendering stuff. Red Giant's going to really expand your feature set, especially uh, into motion graphics. You're going to be able to do a lot of that kind of stuff, motion graphics and VFX. Um, is that more just like expanding your own product to cover a wider user base? Or do you see that like a lot of this stuff is going to become more tightly uh, entangled and that like a lot of people are going to be doing you know, I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to figure out how to even phrase this this question. But do you think that those acquisitions were more because of a growing trend in VFX or more, again, to expand your user base? Well, I think a lot of the Red Giant users, in some cases, a lot of the Red Giant and Cinema 4D users were the same already. It was sort of like the, you know... Um, the, the Cinema 4D version for After Effects, the light version, we we had already, you know, sort of reached a very large portion of the After Effects market when we when we bundled in the the light version, and the light version was, uh, you know, a way to to give those people who hadn't dove into 3D yet a chance to start playing with 3D, and I I think the the Red Giant merger just just gives us a um, like I said, I, it brings two very talented development teams together who can um, not only borrow from each other because uh, there are features that we can borrow from them and back and forth, but also inspire each other to the next level mm-hmm. on some of the technologies. Uh, it, it really is more of a, um, um, you know, where we can go with this uh, because the, like I said, the two companies had 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 a great relationship from for a very long time, and now this closer relationship allows us to dive a little deeper into um, what you know what we can come up with, what kind of tools you know how we can how we can innovate in the industry and bring new tools hmm. to the industry. Yeah, that's great. One thing that I've always really admired about Maxon is uh, you guys have always had the the Cineversity uh, kind of stuff, where like it's it's all about teaching people how to use the tools, getting them involved. Because um, man, a lot of 3D stuff is very overwhelming when you when you get started, um, and it's it's it's. I don't want to say it's the hardest thing to get into, but man, it sure seems difficult when, especially someone who's coming from like video or audio. Uh, but I, yeah, I've always admired that you guys have had that university stuff. Um, do you actually see a big trend of VFX becoming more accessible to you know? Like all these people that are just creating, you know, YouTube content, you know, not a huge audience. It's nowhere near Hollywood quality or, you know, budgets. Uh, do you, are you seeing a huge trend in that direction or is it kind of a, you know, a little bit less than I would imagine? No, that's that's been my job for the last 20 years is how do we make 3D more accessible to a larger audience? Um uh, I've often said at a show because somebody will say, you know, how difficult is it to to learn 3D? And um, I've often used the analogy that I could teach, I could put you in front of a piano and uh, 
teach you chopsticks in, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Um, but if you want to play a concerto at Carnegie Hall, it's going to take you years of practice to learn how to do that. And I, 3D is kind of the same thing, you know, uh, a flying logo or some flying text at the beginning of a video is kind of like chopsticks. I could teach you in a half hour how to make a, a flying logo, a flying 3D logo or some flying text. Um, and render it out for to overlay on some video. But if you want to um, create photorealistic articulated characters, then yeah, it's probably going to take you years to get to the point where you can do that kind of work. Uh, but there's there's a lot of the the tools have gotten more and more accessible every year, um, and and especially with the the power of hardware, the the, the way hardware has has um, improved. Uh, it used to be that you know you we would be way ahead of the hardware, but the hardware is getting faster and faster. So now you're getting really fast feedback on, on high end graphics. Um, so it's, um, I, I think it's definitely getting more and more accessible. Hmm. Yeah. And one of the things I've, I've been excited about a lot recently is seeing how many people are starting to utilize game engines um, for a long time. You know, game, game dev was, it was just about games. And now it seems like it really started with the advent of VR. I don't know if it was just a coincidence, uh, but now we're seeing so many people using game engines because you can get such high video quality in real time out of those. I'm, I mean, you still are going to end up using, you know, something like Redshift or the Cinema 4D Render to get, you know, that really, really high quality stuff. Uh, but I, I saw like uh, Cinema 40 became natively supported in Unreal uh, last year. There was a plugin for Unity that you guys released. How much do you see game engines being a big major part of VFX in the next, I don't know, five, 10 years? Oh, a tremendous. Uh, I can tell you at pretty much every show, the last uh, trade show, the last two or three years, the conversation's been, um, how are we going to utilize the game engines to, you know, in our, in our production pipeline, in, in everything, not just uh, filmmaking, um, in broadcast. Um, we've, we've heard more and more of our sports broadcasters coming to us wanting that integration with either Unity or, or Unreal for, um, you know, AR experiences in, in uh, sports broadcast. And even some of the conversations two or three years ago were not even, this is what we want to do, but how are we going to incorporate the game engines into our pipeline? And those discussions have been going on for a while. And, and we're starting to see, you know, obviously we're seeing it more in the film, you know, this virtual virtual filmmaking is starting to happen more and more, but I think you're going to start seeing it in broadcast as well. Uh, it's It really is. I think it's going to, uh, you know, really affect uh, pipelines coming up. Well, and the quality is just like, I mean, it, we've all seen, you know, like on news reports or especially a lot of the sports things, you know, when you're at halftime football and they've got, you know, the, the, it, the augmented reality graphics that are popping up and some of those, like they're okay, but they're very obviously generated. Uh, but some of the other ones I've seen are absolutely amazing. I'm, I'm also uh, really surprised to see how much people are trying to bring together the real world and these uh, digital assets. And, you know, a lot of times some of them aren't even, it, it's in the opposite direction. I, I've seen a lot of work done where uh, people can have a camera that's showing them the digital environment, and then they're able to do all of their camera moves and such in the real world. And it's just easier for them than to like keyframe a camera in the digital. Uh, so that's super interesting to me. Do you, do you see a lot of uh, work on that kind of thing as well? Or just trying to really combine the real world with digital? 
Yeah, like I said, I think the the broadcasters are really looking for ways of uh, incorporating digital assets into live broadcast and utilize that for il- illustrative purposes, not not just in sports, but news and in all other areas. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting. As far as the quality you're talking about, it's it's uh, one of the the other things I've preached over the years is 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 that you know all of these tools it's just a, an art form and in the hands of the right artist you know they can produce some incredible work and what we're seeing is uh, you know the next generation of artists who have gotten these tools so much earlier in their lives and and um, I mean it's just every every few years the the quality gets better and better because you've got you know people who have had that much more time to to refine their skills it's um, the, the, the work, I, I really truly believe in the next five to 10 years, it's going to take a leap. So yeah, it sure seems like it's a, it's a huge opportunity for VFX artists. Like, I mean, traditionally it's been, you know, the 2D, um, you know, kind of things for film or like you said, broadcast, but yeah, it sure feels like 3D is going to be a giant opportunity. And with things like game engines, it just seems like the accessibility is getting easier and easier to get started and start making things. I mean, I've always blown away by what people are able to make just on, you know, smaller medium YouTube channels. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, and that's, that's part of, you know, talking about, you know, people working from home now it's, it's the, the innovations that's going to come out of that because of all this extra time you have to sit around or I don't know, I don't have a lot of extra time I got to say, but I think, uh, I think for, there's a lot of people who do have that time, especially students and, and people coming up in the industry that they're going to have more and more time to to explore and experiment and create content and get it out there yeah how, how do you th- yeah i mean right now you got the coronavirus lockdown stuff is is huge and i'm sure every other probably every podcast talks about it constantly it's always come up a lot in ours right now but how do you think this is going to affect the industry long term do, do you think that it's going to introduce like a explosion of different i don't want to say art forms but like uh like art, artistic expressions like different formats of of like art art artistry in like film do you think that's going to happen Oh, absolutely. It's been interesting because I first is the, is the struggle. You, you see, uh, you know, some people struggling with uh, getting themselves up, set up working from home. There was that that big boom where we all had to race out of our offices and, and get everybody up and running. And um, I don't know if you saw it last weekend, they did a Saturday Night Live did something where they were doing the skits from home. And so it was a little rough, but, you know, you saw, OK, so they're having to re-examine how they do their their you know their pieces their skits their their improv and um i think you're going to see a lot of that type of thing where um even the newscasts where you're seeing the news people or the talk shows where they're they're all sitting in their living rooms and doing it from there instead it definitely has to affect the the way shows are presented and created and the creativity behind that it it really is um it's going to be interesting uh we've We've had a lot of studios. The first couple of weeks was, you know, how do we get our artists um, licenses? You know, they're used to having their licenses in house. And so how can we keep our people working? So there was a lot of that. Then there was a lot of um, supporting them. And now, you know, everybody's kind of settling in and doing their work from home. Hmm. It definitely is going to be interesting to see if, you know, a lot of these, I'm I'm sure like broadcast and stuff, they're going to move all back you know, as soon as they can to all be in studio, but how many of these, you know, smaller ones are going to just be like, no, you know, we're just going to keep shooting, you know, from people's homes. I mean, once, once you've got the setup working and especially now with how easy it is to do things like green screen and how good quality 
uh, it is. And yeah, forget even green screen, no green screen, just, you know, adding things in. Yeah, it is going to be definitely be very interesting to see how that affects things in the future. Uh, so one question I have for you is, well, so we've talked about, you know, like the, the, the bigger guys, um, how they're doing this and a lot of these freelancers. What about like indie indie films? Like it seems like they're always the ones or not always, but they, they tend to drive. They, they take more of those risks on, you know, style. Uh, do you think that we're going to be seeing even more risks or are we almost I don't want to say at the peak of what people are willing to try or are we going to see even more things? Well, you got to imagine that even some of these bigger productions are having to scale down to get things done. So, I mean, it's I, I, one one thing that great thing that comes out of this is innovation is 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 you're being forced to be innovative to try to get things accomplished. And I think in some ways that's going to inspire some some great new things. But uh, yeah, I mean smaller productions it's going to be easier for them to, you know, to pivot and try to do something a little bit more innovative and, you know, maybe a little different, but even bigger productions, I got to, you got to figure they're going to have to adapt. Um, you know, like I said, with, with set at live or even these national talk shows where people are doing this from their homes, they're having to adapt to the current situation, which is going to change the way they approach things. And, um, in, on the creative side, you have to imagine that's going to affect productions and people must be scrambling to figure out how to move forward, uh, with productions to get them done. Um, you know, with, with limited crews or, I mean, I, I, as far as I know, live production is pretty much shut down right now, but um, as they start to open these things back up, you have to figure they're going to have to get creative because of the situation, you know, we don't, you know, until we know that, you know, there's a, some sort of an antibody test and you know that people have been exposed and, you know, are not going to be either be sick or get sick. It's, it's going to, going to be, you know, skeleton crews pulling these things off. Yeah. Do you, do you think that's going to impact uh, the film industry, you know, even longer term? Let, let's let's say two years uh, when this is all blown over. Um, we've all uh, not forgotten about it, but, you know, it's, it's more on the back of our minds. Do you think we're going to start seeing or keep seeing that it's going to be smaller crews working on these things, more things done in digital rather than, um, you know, in-person shoots and that kind of thing? I, I really do think so. I mean, I think this is going to affect us long term. I mean, you look at... Uh, I'm sure there was enough footage in the can, so to speak, for a lot of these people to continue working on post-production for films or other things that they're working on. But this this last you know month and probably into May of people not shooting is going to be more more have more of an effect down the road, I think, on on the people who are working in post-production. Yeah. What one of the other things I've noticed is it seems like um, I mean, this is a little bit getting into a little off topic here, especially for talking with Maxon, but it, it seems like, uh, like esports kind of stuff has been really been picking up and maybe it's just on my own YouTube feeds. Uh, but it sure seems like a, a lot of this esports stuff, a lot of this stuff where it's, it's all done in digital, it's not, you know, in person, but it, it's that kind of entertainment. And it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, especially with game engines are being used for like broadcast and film. And now, you know, we're going to start seeing it even more in like the esports arena. I mean, obviously that stuff is all based on game engines, but if that's going to become an even larger uh, part of entertainment. 
Oh yeah, I mean we've we've actually seen a big boom in in usage on the esports side. With that that kind of came out of the corner too, surprised us a little bit. We, um, I have to admit, I've been in the industry for a really long time, and it's not something that you know I watched, but you know I I learned more about it from my son who's sixteen, who you know watches this type of content online, and it's it's, it's you know it's for that generation, and um, we definitely started to see a lot more motion graphics work on the esports side where people are, um, you know, the just uh, customers who are creating more content for esports and seeing a boom in the content and the different types of, of broadcasts that they're they're putting out there. Yeah, I mean, I'm even starting to see people who, I mean, they would normally be doing things in, you know, in a studio or on Skype or whatever video calls, and they're just doing it all in a game like they just go yeah. they've got their little avatars or whatever and they just use that yeah i i, I gotta be i gotta admit it's i'm dating myself but you know, <laughs> the first time seeing my kid watch somebody play a video game i went what the hell would you want to do that for? right um but you know uh, you know you you <laughs> you know you have to take the time and sit down and go okay i get it now i get what what's what's entertaining about this but you know i would would never have wanted to do that <laughs> earlier <laughs> Well, I even saw Cinema 40. You guys had, uh, what was it called? Moves or something? It was the, the facial and body tracking. Um, yeah, actually, yeah. The, we, we actually, uh, there was an earlier version called CVAR for, from Cineversity, which was just the facial capture. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the AR toolkit came out with uh, the iPhone. And so we thought, oh, well, this is a natural progression. We had, uh, I, I, we got somebody working on it. It wasn't um, a huge project to get that, you know, capture coming in. And we thought it'd be fun, something that people could use, um, you know, for fun and that type of thing. Um, and then when they added the third camera and started talking about doing full body capture, uh, we, we just figured we'd expand it. And by then, you know, Maxon um, had become a global entity, so they wanted to see it as a Maxon product, not necessarily a Cineversity product. So that's why how we came about with Maxon Moves. But um, yeah, a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's in the early stages. You know, it's it's a little quirky at times, but for just basic fun, um, it's uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, because it sure seems like with you know all this stuff moving digital, you know, once you have a you know easy body tracking and face tracking without the need for like mocap suits um you know you port that into cinema 40 or port it into unreal engine there's a lot of opportunity there for yeah you don't need a bunch of people on site you can do it just digital and you can have a lot more artistic expression in that kind of uh an environment it's not just people you can make them into whatever you want uh so i i personally think it's gonna be really interesting to see how that you know, that kind of motion tracking is going to influence how people are creating content as well. Yeah, the it's it's a very early stage. I mean, that the facial capture is actually quite good and, and can be applied to all different types of geometry. The the body capture, because you're you know, you're shooting from a flat camera, you're you know, you 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 have to be um you have to be very specific about how you do the setup to do body capture and things like that. There's, it definitely has its limitations, but um, yeah, it's a step in that direction. I mean, there are a lot of other technologies out there where you can, you know, you could do this from home. This one, I think, uh, I think the AR toolkit is, is uh, something that's still developing a lot of fun. I don't know if anybody would use the body capture for production yet, but it certainly is a good starting point. Yeah. And I mean, you have to have those starting points, you know, to, you know, develop into the, the, you know, the really polished uh, pieces. But yeah, I mean, I think it was a 
Adobe Max last year where it just seemed like every third or fourth booth was something had to have to do with capture, whether it was facial capture or, or body tracking. And it's just amazing to see how that has grown so much in recent years. Oh, absolutely. And Max is one of those great shows where, you know, that, that kind of, um, you know, the, it's such an unusual show where it, it really draws in those artists who are passionate about learning and wanting to get more out of the, you know, the tools that they're using. And so it's a, it's a great place where you can see some of that innovation. Yeah. So just kind of, um, I don't want to say to wrap it up because I'm sure we'll talk for a little bit more. Uh, but so from how long you've been in the industry, what do you think is kind of, and this is a very open-ended question and we've already talked about a lot of this, but uh, what do you kind of see is the, the future for VFX, just say like in your own words, your own thoughts, uh, what do you think we're going to see in the next say five years? I think the same thing we've been seeing for the last 10 years is, is that, you know, the ability for smaller teams and even individuals to produce content is, is there. Um, and as it gets, um, you know, as, as more and more people evolve and develop in this industry, you're going to see some incredible content coming out of, um, like I said, small, very small teams or even individuals. Uh, you know, I mean, you're already seeing it in, in major films to a certain point. You're, you're seeing, uh, the, the ability, the, the capabilities are there for, for people to produce incredible content on their own. And I think, uh, you're going to see more and more of that. Uh, it's, I mean, it, it, you're going to have less, to a certain point, you're going to have less studio influence. I don't think the studios are going anyplace. I think there's still a place for that kind of content, these longer form and bigger productions. There's still uh, that that desire and interest in having those types of productions. But you're going to see a lot more content coming from one creative voice, one, you know, one artist's vision, which is going to, you know, is going to bring some incredible uh, in creative, a creative content for us out there. And, um, look at, I mean, look at all the different avenues of seeing things now, you know, I grew up with three channels, ABC, NBC, CBS, and then, you know, you'd get the PBS channel on the UHF. I, it's, I mean, we, we're already in channels of the thousands and there's, there's such great, good content out there, but I think that you're going to see more and more very specialized, um, very niche um, content out there. Well, yeah, that's kind of the uh, amazing part of platforms like YouTube or, uh, you know, all those where you're getting served the content that is right for you. And like, yeah, in the past, if, you know, 0.1% of the population would be interested in what you're creating, like that's not enough um, when you're, you know, you're not going to get picked up. You're not going to be on ABC. Uh, but now like, man, 0.1% of everybody on YouTube, that's a huge amount of people. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, and that you're you're absolutely right. I mean, the TV shows the 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 gauge for whether a TV show would get picked up has has changed. You know, if you weren't getting millions of viewers and you weren't the top show on a NBC for that particular time, you you weren't going to last. If you were, you know, you're competing against that nowadays. Yeah, you 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 don't need that number of people anymore. Yeah, well, and it's also interesting to me. I, I think it was on the news very recently, maybe even just today. I saw that uh, AMC Theaters is in talk with bankruptcy lawyers because, I mean, right now with coronavirus, no one can go to the theater. Um, so I'm also interested to see, like, out of all of this, like, we're still going to have Hollywood blockbuster films. Absolutely. Um, oh, absolutely. But seeing, like, how it's going to change because um, right now people aren't 
I mean, they're consuming movies, obviously, still. But yeah, it seems like there's an explosion from these uh, smaller creators, these people that are taking risks and finding that, yes, there is like an audience out there. It's not the majority, not by any stretch of the imagination, but there's enough people out there who appreciate their art that, you know, they're willing to keep working at it. And they can actually, you know, from YouTube ads or whatever, they can actually, you know, do it as a livelihood. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it there is certainly the the market's going to change. I mean, they, there are certain movies you just want to see on the big screen oh, yeah. and and that that will be still be a thing I would guess, but you know, probably not as much as it has as it has been. I I think it's interesting some of the things they've been doing where they've been um broadcasting um live performances. So for instance, you know, uh, some of the theaters will be uh, they'll have live streaming performances to the big screen from like Broadway shows or or the Lincoln Center or something. I'm in California, so you know, things like uh, or you know, um, con- concerts from the uh, Lincoln Center in New York or things like that. I've always thought that was kind of interesting. It was a nice you know, they're just going to have to be creative in finding ways to to bring audiences to those theaters. Yeah. And I mean, some of that doesn't really apply to VFX artists. <laughs> it's like we're talking about like those those live shows as much. Oh, sh- but yeah, well, I mean, sure it does. To us, not the live. Well, that, that's actually not true. Live. We have a tremendous amount of artists who are creating um, virtual sets for live productions, right? Uh, live yeah. stage productions yeah. nowadays. Um, We've had, you know, back, uh, gosh, Spider-Man, when it was on uh, Broadway, the musical Spider-Man, there was a tremendous amount of motion graphics and visual effects work done um, on that stage production. We've got some great artists in New York doing, um, you know, creating um, content where so they don't have to build practical sets anymore. It's basically projections and things like that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was watching something on the, the Mandalorian where they, they do all of their stuff is just a giant LED wall around and above because then all their ambient lighting is correct and you know everything like that and yeah absolutely moving that to live makes a huge amount of sense so yeah you're right i completely take back what i said that like live is actually a huge opportunity right now for vfx Oh, and uh, we've got uh, uh, people, the concert graphics that are, are getting more and more sophisticated. There's an, this incredible company, um, um, Possible Productions in L.A., that did, you know, Ariana Grande, Paul McCartney, um, Justin Bieber. I mean, and some of the graphics are incredible. And in, in some cases, they've gone out of their way to um, choreograph some of this so that the the performers' movements uh, appear to affect the, the the visual effects or motion graphics that they've created. Um, the wall uh, when uh, Roger Waters went out and did the wall, that was all um, projected um, graphics uh, from one of our clients. In- incredible work. Ah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it sure seems like right now is almost a a golden period for VFX. Like the like you said, the tools are becoming more accessible. The hardware is getting powerful enough that you can do things you never would before. And the opportunities are just becoming so widespread that, you know, even things that I offhand, you know, thought, no, that's not a big opportunity. Like, no, it actually is. It's huge. Yeah, it's it's and it's um, I would say it has a lot to do with putting the power of the. Uh, in, in the hands of the artists, um, you know, previously you would, you would look at some of these huge productions and say that, you know, that needed to take a team of artists and you've got one person, you know, overlooking the whole thing. And nowadays that could be one or two artists working in a very small boutique studio and the, you know, the ability for a very small team or even an individual to, to turn out this incredible work is there. 
Yeah. Oh, that that is super exciting. It's, yeah, it's, it is. It's and it's it's really actually kind of fun to watch. I mean, um, you know, having been in the industry for a very long time and and knowing a lot of these artists is is seeing what you know where they came from, where the, what they're doing now, and and the the ability of what they're able to do on their own is just it's um, it really is exciting. It's a very exciting time. Yeah, it, it's it's funny how there's so many things right now that is unexciting with all the lockdowns and people having a hard time finding, you know, work. But then at the same time, just because of all of these tools that are available, it's just opening up the realm of possibility for everybody. Absolutely. Well, well, I think we're going to leave it there. We're shooting for about a 30 minute uh, podcast on a lot of these. So I don't want to go too long. I'm sure we could keep talking forever if we started to get into, you know, even more uh, drill down on a lot of this stuff. Uh, but I wanted to thank you again for coming on our podcast. I mean, right now with all the NAB stuff, I'm sure you are absolutely slammed on a lot of things. So once again, thank you very much, Paul, for coming on. Well, thanks. And I, and I would be remiss if I didn't point out that, yeah, NAB, we're we're going to be broadcasting live um, the entire week uh, or Monday through Thursday, NAB from uh, uh, on C4DLive.com. We like we have done every year, we've got an incredible lineup of artists that are going to be presenting some amazing work, but they'll be doing it from home instead of on the show floor. Yeah, that's going to be great to see. I know I'm going to be tuning into that. Um, and once again, just for anyone listening, what's the, what's the site on that? It's just C4D Live? C4D Live.com. Yeah. Okay. Well, again, thank you very much, Paul. And yeah, definitely everybody tune in um, there for during the NAB time. It sure looks like it's going to be absolutely amazing. Thanks, Matt. All right. Thank you, everybody. And we'll see you next time.